Well, amen. Guys, Sunday morning is the best time of the week. Amen? It, it is just phenomenal to be here. Sunday's the best day. Sunday morning's the best time of the week. Are you guys glad you came to church today? I, I am so glad to be here today with you all. Um, for those of you all that are visiting, my name is Dave, one of the pastors here, and we're continuing in our series uh, called The End, uh, about the book of Revelation. And so um, uh, one real quick announcement before we start. Yes, night of worship. Everybody be here on Tuesday, please, 7 o'clock to about 8.15. All we're going to do is just say thank you to God. Gratitude is a major part of the Christian life. And take, taking a, a night on Tuesday before Thanksgiving to just give thanks to God with your church family, with the community. Uh, if you, how many of you all have been to a Catalyst worship night before? Awesome, yes. We want all of you, if you've never been, please come on Tuesday. It's going to be phenomenal. Second thing, um, I have a really exciting thing to, to say here. Um, about a month ago, we restarted our 127 ministry with support for foster care and adoptive families. Um, if you're a foster or adoptive parent, we have a special gift for you. If you, hadn't, if you didn't know this already, we have 25 16 to 20 pound butterball turkeys uh, that are here today. And if you are a foster or adoptive parent, or you know a foster or adoptive parent, those turkeys are for you. All right, so we are providing a Thanksgiving turkey for you, um, and this is our way of saying thank you to our foster and adoptive parents. Uh, where's Adam Tipton? Where are you? Right there. Uh, stand up there, Adam. Adam has them. Find him after if you are a foster or adoptive parent, or if you know foster or adoptive parents. We have to give them all away, guys. They're, they're, we can't keep them. All right, we got to give them away. They're doing no good in our freezer. They need to be on people's t tables, so we're doing that today. So um, see Adam after church to get your turkey and to get the turkeys for the foster and adoptive families around you. All right, here we go. All right, we are in Revelation chapter 8 and 9 today. This is called round 2. main thing is God's judgments increase in severity. Okay, last week we talked about the sealed judgments. And that, that was the last, and the last of the sealed judgments was seal number seven, and the lamb opened up and opened up an entire new round of judgments known as the trumpet judgments. And uh, before we get into this, people have asked me why God would allow this kind of calamity and suffering. If you guys were here last week, we're talking hyperinflation, war, famine, plague, all these kind of things. Um, why he would allow us to, to, these things. Doesn't he love us? Someone asked me. And I said, Yes. This seven-year period that we're in right now called the tribulation is God's last attempt to try to wake us up. We use the analogy of a car hurtling toward a bridge that's out, the driver's asleep at the wheel, and Jesus is yelling, wake up, because what's ahead is, is disaster. You need to wake up and stop now. That's basically what it is. And he's going to basically, throughout the book of Revelation, he's going to take society to within one step of hell itself. It's going to basically make things so awful, so terrible, that we have no choice but to repent. See, the thing is, is that he wants everyone to be saved, plain and simple. And he knows us far better than we like to admit. Several years ago, there's a show that I used to watch on TV called Scared Straight. Anybody see Scared Straight? Okay, what it was, they would take these teenagers that were just in going the wrong direction. They were disrespectful, they were defiant, getting in trouble, skipping school, doing drugs, this kind of stuff. And, um, and they, would, they would interview, and they, the kid would just have an attitude. He was a punk, or she was a punk, and just bad-mouthing their, cursing their, kid, uh, cursing their parents, and hitting their parents, and all this kind of stuff. And they would take them 
to, they would arrest them and take them to prison and let them experience their future. Let them experience, uh, and, and, and these cocky 13, 14-year-old kids walk in there thinking, oh, they're not going to touch me. Well, they're, all of a sudden, you know, 300-pound, uh, six-foot-five guy with a teardrop tattoo meets him and, and says, uh, you're going to be giving me your shoes. And, 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 and he just, in his face, yelling at him and, and everything. And by about two or three hours into this, the kids are just breaking down and calling for their mom. And, and the one that they were cursing and hitting two hours before, now they're crying for them because they actually found out what their future would be. And the shock and the horror on the face of these kids was really something. See, they allowed the teens to see their future in an attempt to get them to change. Okay? And that's exactly what God is doing with all the calamity. He's showing us our future with, a, with the intent to try to get us to change. Uh, he knows the hard times rather than good times cause people to turn to him. And he, the good times, the blessings, the peace, well, that didn't bring enough people to him. People got lukewarm and complacent. And so Jesus will be returning at the end of this seven years. And by then it's going to be too late. So God's just pulling out all the stops trying to wake us up especially his church. And so he allows the earth to descend into utter chaos and immense suffering simply so we will repent. And if at the end of the tribulation you still have not repented, there's no hope for you. If that doesn't reach you, nothing will. Okay? So that's why the events of Revelation transpire the way they do. Uh, remember, reaching the lost and calling people to repentance is always his, his, his deal. All right, so last Sunday we talked about the sealed judgments, and those were small potatoes compared to what's coming now. All right, we saw the revealing of the Antichrist, who is a, a, a charismatic world leader who will, who will establish a one-world government. Okay? Uh, we saw economic chaos and hyperinflation. We saw one quarter of the human population killed in a war. And I have to admit, I, I made a mistake last week. I was one week ahead. I said that the, uh, the, 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 the judgment was a nuclear war. Uh, it was not. That was by conventional means or a virus or something because that happens later on. I made a mistake last week. I want to correct that. We saw the natural disasters and persecutions of Christians. Um, then the Lamb opens the seventh seal. This is where we start today. All right, so number one, there's silence in heaven. We look Revelation 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, I didn't understand this verse until I became a dad, okay? Um, how many of you parents have ever seen your kid playing and something bad happens? I mean, <clears throat> fall off a swing set, like go flying, and they hit their face in the dirt, knock out a tooth, you know, drop a, something heavy that's on their foot, and, and you hear the big thump. I mean, it's something really bad. Now, all parents know this. All parents know when the kid is really hurt, the kid doesn't cry. What does the, cry, what does the kid do? They do the eyes clenched, open mouth, silent thing. Okay, it looks like this. And every parent goes, oh, man, because you know what's about to happen. And they, it's like they're exhaling silently. And then what do they do? Take a huge, deep breath and, Rah! okay, and they're inconsolable. I didn't understand this verse until I became a dad and my daughter was learning how to walk. We had this big, heavy coffee table. And she was on unsteady legs, and she fell. And her, her, the, the bottom of the coffee table was like this, and she went down, and the top of her head hit this, and it cut a huge gash right in her scalp. And it was bleeding profusely. And that's the first time I saw the open mouth silent thing. And then all hell broke loose. She cried and cried and screamed and everything. Okay, that is what this is. All of heaven 
held its breath because they knew what was coming next. Right? The second point here is after this silence happens, the trumpet judgments begin. And the trumpet judgments, according to biblical scholars, are a preview to nuclear war. Right? Judgment number one is hail and fire. Revelation 8, 7, the first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. It was hurled down on the earth. Okay, remember, it was hurled down. Okay, so something came down and, and hit, okay? The third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and the, and the green grass was burned up. Now, I want you to remember, last week, in the, in the seal judgments, the, num- the number was one-fourth. There's one-fourth of population, one-fourth of this, one-fourth of this. Now, as God's judgments increase in severity, we move into one-third. You'll see one-third is the theme in the trumpet judgments, okay? Um, so, a, a first-century man describing... He sees hail, what looks like hail and fire. He doesn't know what a missile is. He doesn't know what, what anything uh, is. He's just describing what he sees. And these first four judgments have to be taken all at once. Last week, the seal judgments happened in a linear progression. These, these next four, these trumpet judgments, happened all at once. Okay, so the second, uh, number two, judgment number two is an attack on the sea. Um, Revelation 8, 8 through 9, the second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the ships turned into blood, sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. What this is saying is that the, the first judgment was on the land, this is on the sea. There is no place humanity can go to escape the judgment of God. That is what it is being shown. Not only is the land, but the sea as well, all right? So judgment number three, remember, these are all happening at the same time. Um, verse 10 through 11, there's an attack on the fresh water. A third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky. You see in this, everything is falling from the sky. You see this, okay? And they're all on fire. Remember that. All right, uh, a, a third of the rivers on the sp- in springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. Wormwood means bitter, bitter. A third of the waters turned bitter, um, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Okay? So the fourth judgment in, in verse 12, a fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that the third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and a third of the night. Okay, so we've got hail and fire raining down on land. We've got an attack on the sea, something like a huge mountain on fire falls down and, and destroys the sea. Then we, have a, then we have more things coming down from the, side, uh, from the sky, all ablaze that, that turn fresh water bitter. And then we have the sun and the moon blotted out, all four. Okay? Now, eyewitness reports from Hiroshima and Nagasaki report the sun being blotted out for up to two days following the dropping of Fat Man and Little Boy in 1945. The mushroom cloud put up such a, a cloud of debris that up to two days the sun was blotted out. Now, nuclear weapons today are thousands of times more strong than Fat Man and Little Boy. Okay? Uh, it's not a stretch to see that John is describing the exact effects of a nuclear holocaust here. Now, the first four trump- trumpet judgments entail one-third of the earth being burned up, one-third of the sea and sea life destroyed, one-third of fresh water made undrinkable by many dying from it, and a huge mushroom cloud blotting out the sun and the moon and the stars. We have to remember that this is not some sci-fi guy sitting in his mom's basement dreaming this up, okay? This is a first century man who had never seen electricity other than lightning. 
He had never seen a nuclear bomb, never seen a missile, never seen anything like this in life. Then the most advanced military weapon he had ever seen was a chariot. That's, that is his frame of reference. And yet he was able to describe exactly what would happen in a nuclear holocaust, having no basis for understanding this whatsoever. There are people that say, well, nuclear war would never happen. There are people that say that. I've heard that my whole life. I grew up in the Cold War. Uh, I remember in 1986, the, the Gorbachev-Reagan summit thing where, where they were going to uh, solve all the world's problems. I mean, I, I grew up under the threat of nuclear war. I'm a Gen Xer. I, I remember hearing about, hearing about this. But here's the question I have for you. Do we really think that humanity, with our track record, would possess weapons of mass destruction and not eventually use them? Do, have humans through the years shown a remarkable morality and wisdom in restraining themselves when they obtain power? We all know the answer to that. We know exactly what happens when humans have power. It corrupts them, it destroys them. It's only a matter of time before the wrong person has that kind of power and has their finger on the button. And that person, and revealed in scripture, would be known as the Antichrist. So Earth undergoes a nuclear holocaust as the Antichrist attempts to consolidate his power and eliminate his enemies for his one world government. That is what we are seeing here. In the next verse, though, interestingly enough, we, we think that that is as bad as it gets. Um, I, I look at this, and I, I think about Clark Griswold and, and Chris's vacation when Ellen says we need to go home before things get any worse. He goes, worse? How could anything get any worse? Look around you, Ellen. We're at the threshold of hell. Well, in the next verse, there's an angel flying through the air saying, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because what's about to come is much worse. Up to this point in Revelation, all of the judgments, all the actions have been explainable by human means, okay? War, famine, plague, hyperinflation of the economy, etc. They can all be explained by human means. So why would the angel say, woe to the earth now? Well, because what is coming in, seal, in, in trouble judgment number five is the first time we see overtly demonic oppression. This is the first time that Satan actually begins his work in a very limited way. Here, judgment number five, it's basically people are tormented by locust-like creatures. Listen, this is the strangest part of Revelation so far, but it is a description of overtly demonic oppression happening. This is next level, you guys, check this out. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet. I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the, to the shaft of the abyss. The abyss is hell, okay? When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will see Seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Okay, this is the first time that we see overt demonic activity in the end times. It is very clear that uh, the, the, the angel opens up the abyss, opens up hell, 
and unleashes in a very small part what has been held there the whole time. And I read this, and I think to myself, you mean, God, you've kept this from us this whole time? You've kept these things locked away this whole time? That this is what's waiting for us? These things, that, 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 that's just a small glimpse of what's, what, what is in hell right now? We're, we're getting a small glimpse of what is actually in hell right now, all right? This is a first glimpse. And, and, and also, this is the first time we see the separation of believers and unbelievers. Never forget this. Who did the locust light? Who did the demonic torment? He tormented people without the seal of God on their foreheads, the people who were not saved. This is the first time we see separation of this. And this is something that Christians need to know. This is like the book, just like in the book of Exodus when God was raining down plagues on the Egyptians trying to let the Israelites go. It's like uh, the first plagues in Egypt uh, were, were everybody. And then as the judgments increase in severity, they begin to affect only Egyptians and not the Israelites. Right? So Christians will be supernaturally protected from these creatures, the Bible says. How can that be? Well, the answer is something we often forget, and I want you to write this down. The demonic has no power over Christians. No power whatsoever. Uh, that's a good lesson to remember, people. If you're a Christian today, if you have been baptized, if you have confessed Christ as the Lord and Savior, you've surrendered your life to Christ, Satan has no power over you except that which you give him. Never forget that. It's a bluff. Here we see separation of believer from unbeliever. God will protect his people. And the seal of God, it's interesting, the seal of God on their forehead um, uh, it's, it's very, very visible to Satan, very, very visible to God, invisible to us, but it's there. God can see it more so, Satan can see it too. And it says a torment from this demonic will be so severe and so awful that people will long to die. Scripture seems to indicate that God will prevent suicide. It says they will look for death, but they won't find it. I don't know how that does. I don't know uh, I, I understand that fully, but it seems like God keeps people alive during this time. And meanwhile, the Christians will be just fine. Because just like in Egypt, the final plague, the plague of the firstborn, when the angel of death went through the land and killed the firstborn in every house, it stopped at the houses that were protected by the blood, the lamb's blood of the, uh, uh, that, that protected them. Same is true of the seal of God in your forehead. These demonic creatures will pass by those who are saved. The Passover. All right? If you want to read about the Passover, it's found in Exodus chapter 12. Then after this period of torment happens, then judgment number six happens. It's a, basically an army of 200 million will kill another one-third of humanity. All right. So uh, verse 13 through 16, the sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. So twice 10,000, which is 20,000, times 10,000, that's 200 million. Now, what I found, I, I, I studied this, uh, there, are two, there, there are two major interpretations of this that I found. 
Biblical scholars disagree with what this actually is. The first interpretation was that this 200 million are a continuation of the demonic. Instead of just locust-like creatures, there's an actual army of 200 million demons that come and, 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 and lay waste to a third of the earth. The second, which I'm more inclined to believe, is that it is a reference to China. Uh, scripture tells us that this army comes from the east. The only country in the east capable of sending an army of 200 million would be China. We also see reference to this in Revelation chapter 16 at the bar, ba, Battle of Armageddon. That's in a few weeks. Uh, but an army from China will march out and destroy another one-third of humanity, 200 million strong. Now, question, do we really think China would do this? Yes, I do. It's no big secret that China has become much more aggressive in recent, in recent years. That's no front-page news. Right now, they're doing war games about taking Taiwan. We all know that. Our, our own president basically said, uh, if, if China invades Taiwan, we're, we're going to, uh, we're going to, to uh, provide troops. So, I mean, that's, that's in the news right now. Guys, that's no great, it's no great uh, uh, revelation. But they are currently building roads all over the world. I was talking with our missionary friend of mine, uh, Rob Esposito, and he said that in Honduras, China, Chinese uh, construction is everywhere. They're building massive roads in Africa and South America particularly. Now, why would they be doing this? Out of the goodness of their heart? Because they love the people of Africa and they love the people of South America and they want to help out? Not hardly. Not hardly. It's very simple why they would do this. They have one reason, to be able to move military equipment around quickly. Sometime this week, I would like all of you to Google the term the Silk Road. You can do it right now, but you'd miss what I'm talking about. Don't do it right now, but it's called the Silk Road. The Silk Road is an ancient route taken by Chinese traders that led through Asia, the Middle East, and into Europe. An ancient route. In 2013, and you can look this up, China began a $900 billion infrastructure project billed as the most expensive infrastructure in history. When completed, the Silk Road will now enable a person to drive all the way from China into Europe on a high-quality road. Why? Well, if you look at the Sixth Trumpet Judgment, you see why the Silk Road would be necessary. This is how China moves an army of 200 million people. You don't move an army of 200 million people easily. You need high-quality roads. You need infrastructure to support that. Well, they're building it right now. They started it in 2013, called the Silk Road. You can look it up. <clears throat> so this is how China moves this army. The foundations of all of this stuff is happening right before our eyes, like chess pieces being moved into position before an attack, you guys. The kicker is after all of these judgments, after all of these things that, that people see, people refuse to repent and turn to Christ. Revelation 9, 20 through 21, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons, the idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So he gives us five signs that will be present in the end time society. There will be worship of demons and idols, murder, magic arts, sexual immorality, and theft. It singles those things out, okay? Let's take the first one, worship of demons and idols. Now, these have always been present, but it wasn't until I went over to India that I realized how exactly overt this is. 
you guys, how overt this is. There is a, an image, there's a Hindu god on every street corner, on every house, and they're hideously ugly. They're hideously ugly. And I asked one of the Christians there who was a, was a Christian convert why these Hindu gods were so ugly. And he says, very easy, because they're demons. It's overtly known over there. Um, but the worship of demons and idols will be very present in end-time society. The second thing will be murder. Now, murder's always been around, but the murder rate will, will increase exponentially in the end times. Murder rate has risen dramatically in America since last year. Let's check the FBI statistics for it. Third one is magic arts. Over the last two decades, there's been an explosion of palm readings, tarot cards, psychic readings, etc. Magic arts are that once considered taboo, now they're on every street corner. All right. Fourth one, sexual immorality. Do I even need to say more? We live in a, in a sexually immoral society. If you look at the biblical worldview, sexually immoral. Number five is theft. Now, why would he say theft? That's interesting. It's always been around. Well, there's open theft in San Francisco going on right now. Open theft. It's been decriminalized. If you want something that costs less than $1,000, say $995, you walk in a store, take it. They won't chase you, they won't arrest you. They're not allowed to. It's open. Uh, businesses are pulling out of San Francisco right now due to, due to this. Um, but someone says those things have been present in society since the beginning. Uh, you know, that is not a sign of the end times. Well, you're right. That's a good question. Those things have been present. But the person is missing the point of that. This is what I want you guys to hear. This is what I want you to hear. The Bible doesn't say those things will be new, that they will appear in the end times. What it says is that people will re refuse to repent of them. So in other words, we will see an end time society is the acceptance of these things. As a matter of fact, these things will be championed in the media, in popular culture. These things will not be something that people feel the need to repent of. There are things that will be branded as good and, good and, 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 and acceptable and the goal. These things will be the norm, all right? And guys, this is what is so important. There will be no shame. The shame will be completely gone in the end time society. We will see the death of shame. We'll see the death of remorse. We'll see the death of regret. This will be a society without shame, without remorse, and without regret. They will be done openly, brazenly, with no consequences. And people, we are there. We're there now. It's not just the fact that there will be murder and theft and sexual immorality and magic arts and the worship of demons. It's just that those things will be so common that no one will feel the need to repent of them. What it, the, the Bible says that in the end times, what is good will be called evil, and what is evil will be called good. What is good will be called evil. Children, having families, worship, uh, faith, uh, church, uh, forgiveness, love, joy, those things will be so downplayed and mocked and scoffed at. And the things that are evil, murder, adultery, uh, hatred, uh, anger, unforgiveness, those things will be everywhere and accepted. Those will be called good. That is what the end time society will be like. So the question is, church, 
Has shame died in you, maybe? Has it died? Are you incapable of repenting? Are you incapable of seeing the difference between what the Bible says is right and the Bible says is wrong? Has shame or remorse died? It's died in the society in the end times. Has it died in you? Has it died in your family? Even more, even more intensely, has it died in the church? Are we as a church capable of saying this is right and this is wrong? Are we in the church capable of saying this is what God approves of and this is what God disapproves of and we are taking this way and not this way? Or have we become so arrogant? Have we become so jaded? Have we become so desensitized to it that we actually look at God and say, don't tell me what to do. How dare you make demands of me? God, you're just lucky that I even acknowledge you. I know people like that. Has shame died because it has died in society in the end times. And that is why Jesus gives us this revelation saying, don't let this happen to you. Do not become so callous and so, uh, so desensitized to the Holy Spirit that you cannot hear me when I convict you of this. Don't become so desensitized to that. The book of James talks about how we become that way. I remember taking a class on the Holocaust and watching what the guards did in the concentration camps and the death camps, how they took the shoes from the little children and, and piled them up in a room and gassed them and, 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 and they went home at night. Like, How in the world could people do that? How could you kill that mil millions of people and not even bat an eye? Well, the book of James describes that. It says that desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It's like this, this analogy when desire has, and then it conceives a sin, and sin doesn't stay that way. It grows and metastasizes like cancer until it takes over you, and it takes over your life, and it takes over your family, it takes over your church, it takes over your society until we are dead, not dead physically, a dead soul, a soul that cannot feel, a soul that cannot experience joy, cannot hear the Holy Spirit. That's what the end result of sin is. That's the end result of it. And that is where this society is. And we have to make sure that that is not us, that we have not fallen into that. We have to make sure that that is not us. Because that's what society is going to look like in the end times. If that is you this morning, I am calling you back to God I'm calling you back to Jesus. I'm calling you back to your first love. That's what I'm doing right now. If you have, become, if you have wandered away and you don't, it doesn't even bother you anymore, that should bother you. And I'm calling you back. I believe the reason you're here this morning is because God called you here. I don't believe any person is here by mistake. I don't believe any person entered the presence of Jesus in his community today by mistake. You are here for a reason, and it's because God is calling you back to his first love because time is short, and he wants you to hear that this morning. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up. As I read this, you all, it bothered me. It didn't bother me because I'm worried about myself or anything. I really believe exactly what John said, that if you are a believer in Christ, none of this stuff will happen to you, none of it. 
None of it. You will not experience any of this. But I wondered what John, 2,000 years ago, what he thought when he saw this. See, all, all, all we have is his writings. We don't get the emotion. We don't get the tone. I, I, I'm just wondering what his state of mind was. I would imagine that as he wrote this down, there were tears falling on this scroll that he was writing because of what was going on. And I believe that as he, this was not some gloating, some look how awful everyone is. I think that this revelation that he was writing down broke his heart. And there's a pastor uh, that was pastoring a church and people kept leaving, kept leaving, kept leaving. And there was, an, there was a person in the neighborhood that drove by and saw fewer and fewer and fewer cars in the parking lot. And uh, finally that pastor moved on and a new pastor came in. And within two or three weeks, the person driving by noticed there were more cars and 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 more cars. Soon the parking lot was completely full. And so the, the, the guy said, well, there's something really strange going on there. I've got to figure out what's going on. So he found a friend of his that went to that church, and he said, um, what's going on? It, it, you know, the old, when the old pastor was there, the, the people left and left and left and left, and it was just going. But now there's tons of people there. And the church member said, well, the old pastor told us to repent and turn to Jesus or we would go to hell. And... Uh, and he goes, well, what does a new pastor say? New pastor tells us that we need to repent and turn to Jesus or we're going to hell. And the guy said, that's the same thing the old guy said. And the church member looked at him and said, yeah, but when the new guy says it, he's got tears in his eyes. See, I believe that this message was given to the church and given to society with tears in their eyes because Jesus wants not one person to fall, but for all to come to repentance. Church, I'm calling you back to your first love. I'm doing that today. Let the Holy Spirit's conviction fall on you today so that you can be broken by the things that break the heart of God and so he can forgive you and restore you to what he wants you to be and so you can be saved from this. We pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the people that are in person and online that hear this message. Lord, you tell us that blessed are those who read this book of the Bible. Blessed are those who read Revelation. And Lord, I believe it's because you call us back to our first love, which is you. I pray today, Lord, if there are people that are unsaved in this room or online, I pray that you would... Uh, do some business with them. Lord, I pray that you would uh, comfort those that need to be comforted. I pray that you would convict those that need to be convicted. But Lord, please do it quickly because I do believe time is short. I love you, Lord. We love you. And we thank you for this blessing that you've shown us our future. You've shown us like the kids in Scared Straight. You've shown us where we're going. And Lord, we have a chance now to change and to reach out to you and confess you as Lord and Savior. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your amazing grace that covers all our sins. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.